Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Australian artist, designer, muralist, calligrapher, and illustrator, Gemma O'Brien. Over the past 10 years, Gemma has taken her passion for typography and built a flourishing career around drawing letters. Her bold type, expressive calligraphy, and detailed illustration can be seen in advertising campaigns, editorial publications, and large-scale murals in galleries and interiors around the world. She's collaborated with numerous global brands and publications, including Apple, Tiffany & Co., Google, Adidas, Adobe, and the New York Times. Beyond her commercial work, Gemma is a regular speaker at international conferences and also hosts hand-lettering workshops at design schools, agencies, and events. Gemma is one of the most flexible and optimistic people I have ever met. She has a unique ability to make brave changes to her life and adapt to any new circumstance. Originally studying law, Gemma had a gut feeling that this wasn't what she was supposed to be doing. She made the jump from law to design, and there she found her true calling of bringing together the strategic thinking of design and the freedom of fine art. I'm finding more and more on this series that the one thing many of my guests have in common is their choice to tune out the voices that tell them that they have to live a certain way. These people instead listen to the voice that tells them to go with their gut. Gemma is certainly one of these exciting people. Hey Gemma, it's so cool to have you here in in Redfern. Yeah, great to be here. Didn't have to come too far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you only live around the corner, which is incredibly handy. Um, you know, you are an, an amazing woman. I'm going to start with that. You're absolutely phenomenal on stage, and I see you at events and kind of how, how you're incredibly positive. And it's just so refreshing to see that incredible energy um, and a real passion for what you do. How did it come about? Have you always been that way? I think I've always been positive. I'm mm-hmm. definitely a diehard optimist, which is sometimes to my detriment, I think, especially with deadlines, very optimistic about yeah. deadlines that I can't deliver to. But um, yeah, I think that Part of me always had that kind of like energy and excitement about life in general and creativity. And then, you know, as life went on, things changed and I didn't realize that you could kind of incorporate that into your life and career. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now I do. And do you start off studying design? No, I started off studying law. Wow. So, okay. um, yeah, I don't, it's so funny to think about it now because it's such a distant memory, but in school, I was very studious, got good grades, and I think there was this feeling of, not necessarily from my parents, but definitely from the school, that if you get good marks, then you study law or medicine. I'm a very traditional, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So about a year and a half into law school, I just felt like, you know what, this this isn't me, this isn't going to be my life, and I dropped out, found a design degree, and, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> Were you always creative prior to that? Yeah, I always did art through school. I was always drawing and making things. Uh, my mum's a kindergarten teacher, so she was very much like, you know, there was always things around to mm. create. Um, so it was definitely always there, but I think it took a while to realise that. That's interesting. There's a few people I've, I've talked to who have said similar things in terms of they start off in a career path and then they changed it. Some people can make that change relatively easily. Sometimes like it's a, a eureka moment, go, oh, my God, this is what i meant to be doing, and other people can take a lifetime to find that thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really hard when you're young, like, to know what you want to do. I think it's weird to, like, talk to high school students, be like, what do you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to do? Mm. Because I think that 
like you don't know anything about the world, you no. know, you don't even know what you could do. Well, and what's I my def- options? Yeah. Exactly. Like even if I think about my career now, like it's so, it doesn't fit into a particular box. Like every day is so different. It's not nine to five. It's like I'm traveling. I never would have thought that travel would be a part of a career mm. in art and design. Um, and so I think that when you're making those decisions and deciding what to do at university, it's hard to know. So to change, I think is totally fine. And did you know in your heart that you wanted to do design at that moment? Did you go that this is actually what I do want to do? No, I actually think I probably wanted to just do fine art. And ah. I felt like design was probably a more viable, you know, less crazy from law to art, but design was an in-between. But I think looking back now, I'm actually glad that I did that because there's things that I think you learn in design, at least studying design, mm-hmm. a way of approaching it that's a bit more strategic that maybe you don't necessarily get in fine art and that you can kind of bring the art side or whatever it is you want to do, like make design more arty in a way. Yeah. And so what do you describe yourself as now? I mean, are you a designer or are you an artist or I usually say I'm you're an, an entrepreneur? I'm a designer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I think that, I don't know, it really depends on the context as well. I think I like to frame myself as an artist within the design world because, you know, it sets me up for more like kind of brand collaborations as opposed to like designing someone's logo and yeah. with painting murals like the process of doing that feels it doesn't fit in my mind in the conventional idea of like a graphic designer or a graphic design studio mm. but yeah who knows maybe that'll change maybe I'll start and is it, myself something else <laughs> I mean I just I, I watch you on sorry that sounds creepy <laughs> I follow you on Instagram yeah. like every, you've got like hundreds of thousands of followers which is absolutely incredible so well done on that um, but it just looks like you're, it looks like you're like in a very peaceful state all the time. You know, <laughs> you're like you're, you're sitting there kneeling against a mural and your white Converse shoes and white t-shirt, you know, painting this massive thing. Um, and I can see that like happening all over the world. Is, is it a very much a solo, uh, you know, approach? Yeah, I think it's funny because, you know, that moment and often the moment that's like pictured on my Instagram it can be quite peaceful, like when I'm painting and therapeutic, but that's probably like the only peaceful and therapeutic time. I feel like every <laughs> other aspect of my career and getting things done is a, is kind of chaotic and busy and ah. stressful and maybe that isn't pictured on Instagram. Yeah, but... you need to be more honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, who's following you around? Because it looks like you must prepare for a professional <laughs> photographer to capture these wonderful well, moments. Actually, a lot of them are either like, just on an iPhone, like a timed setup, or sometimes I have painting assistants will take them or depending on the space, like I just did this one with Tiffany and Co. And so that one, Mm. I had a professional photographer take them. So it really depends, but I don't have like, unfortunately my boyfriend's off the hook. He's, he's really bad at taking iPhone pictures. So he, I think he did that on purpose so that he he wouldn't get us. Yeah, he knows. He's about to find out. He's not going to get a shock when he listens to this. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that's cool. I mean, I just think that, I mean, you, I guess you couldn't imagine how, um, you know, what you're doing will take you all over the world. I mean, yeah. literally, you seem to be in a different place every month. Is that right? Yeah, I think the only person who travels more than me is Frankie Ratford, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and we interviewed her last week, and she was awesome, too. Yeah. But I definitely, yeah, the travel part of it, I feel like, has been really amazing and totally unexpected. You know, I didn't think that, in fact, I don't even know what, I think the mural side of it, obviously, you have to physically be there if you're painting yourself, but then the design conferences, like I feel like any place you can think of in the world, there's almost a design conference, yeah. you know, like 
was yeah. just in Peru and last year in Colombia. And a lot of those um, design communities there, maybe compared to somewhere like America, that aren't as big, they're really, you know, it's really exciting to hear the perspective of a designer from somewhere else in the, in the rest of the world. And so I love that component of it as well. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking too, I mean, you're not just a speaker at the event. Sometimes you're actually the, you know, the, what do you call them, compare or whatever. Oh, like it's semi-permanent yeah. MC. Yeah, I've yeah, done MC. that a couple of years. I mean, I feel like I was dabbling. I don't think that I would do that in any other context, but I think within the context of design or, um, you know, creative fields, I do... I'm just curious. So it was kind of a fun thing to try as well. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I, did. I saw you somewhere else, though. It wasn't semi-permanent. It was another event that you were on stage talking. And I just was, as I said earlier, I thought I was overwhelmed by your positivity um, and optimism, which is also quite unusual for a designer because a lot of designers are quite introverted. I mean, mm. were you always a very confident, kind of bubbly person from day one? Yeah, I think it's funny because part of, like when I think about myself, like someone, if you say I'm an extrovert, I'm like, of course, because I love, like, especially in social contexts or presenting, I love like really being out there and being a part of it. But then in other ways, I feel like, especially when I'm working, I'm very introvert or I need to be by myself. I wouldn't be able to work in like a shared design space. Like I feel mm. like I need to have like that solitude and kind of draw that energy of being by myself. And then the flip side is when I am out in the world, I kind of like, yeah, let go. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So is it uh, like a meditative process for you to sit in there and painting and, you know, creating your art? Yeah, I think the painting side of it's definitely it has that therapeutic component. But often by the time I get to the painting, I've done, you know, the designing. It's the way that it works. I don't just kind of improvise when I get into a space. You know, there's these yeah. steps that are involved. So I think it's more about okay, the hard work in a way is done, so this is the fun part. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm working in the studio, working on my computer or just drawing small scale, it can be a bit more, um, you know, problem solving and like not quite getting there or not being happy with something. And it's kind of like sometimes I find it a real struggle to like get something out that's good. Mm. <laughs> do yeah. you find that? Do yeah, you... always, Jesus. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I, mean, I do like being by myself uh, too. So it's kind of a nice state. But I mean, when, in a business that's kind of busy, it's kind of tends to be quite hard to find that kind of uh, that downtime. Mm. What's interesting too, just kind of thinking about, you know, you're getting commissioned by a lot of organizations and some phenomenal organizations around the world are asking to do like Tiffany's and, mm. and others, which are some of the other ones. What are the other ones you've done? Um, Google I did one at Google last year. Um, I did a live painting thing for Adidas last year. Lots of, yeah, yeah. Lots of different brands. Really big brands. And what are, they, what are they asking you for? What do they want? What do they, what do they, you know, you're putting something in their space. Um, something physical, mm. uh, do they see it as a permanent thing or they see it as something just an expression of the moment? What, what, what is it that they commission you for? I think there's like two key different like approaches that people come to me for to create mural-based work. And one of them is more, it's more about like an activation or like a brand launch or something where they want people to kind of see that live component maybe use the behind the scenes for social media. It kind of becomes part of a, a bigger brand or like product launch. Mm. And then the other one is where it's more like for a space that's going to be something more permanent. So the Google um, mural that I painted was at the big Google head office in um, California. And that's something that, you know, will stay there until they decide 
to change the building or change the space. The Tiffany and Co mural was also a permanent installation. So, mm. yeah, I think that there's both of them are probably the most common types of projects that I get asked to do. And, you know, some of the more transient ones, like if it's for a, you know, a pop-up shop, it might only exist for one night or a party or an event and then get painted back white again. Ooh, does that <laughs> I hurt? I love that, no. Oh, you okay about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm cool with it. Um, and what, so what's the message? I mean, obviously the Tiffany one probably had love or something to do with that, right? That one was in the love and engagement space. So, yeah, yeah it was pretty direct and, like, straightforward. But sometimes, you know, often I'll get given a quote or a phrase to work with or you know, something that relates to the space or sometimes it's a collaborative um, process. But, yeah, definitely usually text-based. What I love about it is that your work is bold, but obviously it's feminine there's, there's, because it's detailed and, mm. and softer. I mean, it's still incredibly bold. And I think that's obviously refreshing too because a lot of work out there to date has been very masculine. Mm. Do, you, do you think that? Yeah. It's funny. When I started doing murals, there was something about the scale – that helps with it feeling bold just because it's big. And I always loved working at a larger scale. It just felt more natural to me. Um, And I think that it almost allows you to have more of a feminine side within it because it's already naturally got the boldness from the scale. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see, like, what kinds of work is popular in a moment. And Yeah, Yeah, do you think it's a moment? Yeah, I do. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's How definitely long is this moment a moment. For? Well, because if I think back to like three or four years ago and I started to do murals and I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't getting commissioned to do them. I just was kind of like, oh, I want to paint something big. So I'd ask a friend to do it in their studio and do it for free or whatever. And then mm. it became this thing. I mean, I wasn't the only person doing it, but I think it was, you know, street art was being co-opted into like more of a design space and yeah. Social media was rising, so people were, like, looking for something that felt a little bit more human or real in a way. And so I do think that it is a moment, but the underlying, like, desire of what the need it was meeting, which was, like, this, I don't know, a connection to something that's made by a person and Mm. this, like, spontaneity, I think that will, like, continue to exist, but it'll morph into different executions or trends. Yeah, I was just thinking too about your calligraphy because you do incredible calligraphy. Where where did that come from? Did you study calligraphy or no? So when I was studying degree? design, <laughs> um, I you know even typography, the way that I felt like it was taught within the design degree that I did was very like you know choose a font like the drawing or lettering side of it wasn't incorporated into the way that I learned graphic design. So that was really like self-led. And then I think once I started working, I felt like I saw calligraphy and I could, like I loved how expressive it was and it almost felt like within working with words, it was like a different language or you could be an actor and take on these different roles. And so I wanted to learn to do that so I'd have like a different mode that I could work in. And so I like having more illustrative Mm -hmm. style and then I'll get bored or I'll be working on something for two weeks and then I can do something calligraphic and it's like really free and different. I think it's cool too because you're teaching calligraphy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that must be rewarding. Yeah. I think the thing that I love about teaching calligraphy versus like teaching more design or illustrative styles of lettering 
is that it's very, like, you can break it down into single strokes, into individual pieces, such that, like, literally anyone can do it. Like, you know, you mm. think that if you're going to do a design workshop, you'd need a background in something creative, but it's really just practice and following a series of steps. And do the students pick it up quite quickly? Yeah, it depends. Different groups. I find it's quite interesting working with, like, I've done, you know, designers, advertising people, like, who've been in that world for a long time. And then I've done some with maybe high school students and they have a very different approach or they pick things up in a different mm. way. But sometimes people are good. Sometimes people, like, have a different area of expertise. And I think calligraphy is definitely something that if you continue to practice, then you will naturally get good. But sometimes initially it can be a bit daunting. Social media has been around for, you know, a while now, but it seems like you really utilize it in, in a very proactive and determined way. Do you think that's your, your main visibility is through your Instagram posts? It has become that, but I don't think that I set out to do that. Like when I first started using Instagram, I don't know, so every now and then I'll see that someone's liked like one of my first posts and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot that, you know, using bad filters and pictures of food or whatever. Like I never set like out to use yeah. it as a, <laughs> you know, like as a, like, you know, mm. portfolio space, but it's definitely become that. And mm. I think because of the following that just grew out of it, it is a big audience that I can share my work with. But I, yeah, I don't really, I still find it quite interesting that I have this big audience because I don't know, I didn't try to get people to follow my work. It just kind of naturally happened. And so I've definitely become more aware of thinking about, okay, what am I going to post? And it's a bit more strategic mm. and it's not as personal as if I am had just set up more of a personal Instagram page. It's definitely like a business tool. Um, and there's pros and cons. Like I'll delete it for days if I'm working on something just because it's too distracting and yeah. I mean, because how many you got? How many followers have you got? Oh, like I don't know, two hundred thousand. And and the <laughs> likes are like tens of thousands each time you post something. Obviously, you're busy. It seems like you're really busy, flying everywhere, doing great work. Do you turn work down? Yeah, I've started to turn work down. Initially, I was like probably every young, excitable designer. You just like say yes to everything, and I think that you know you realize over time that you can only exert as much creative mm. energy as time permits. And if like, if I overcommitted, then the work would suffer. So oh, yeah. I've definitely started to be more selective about the projects that I do. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a nice feeling to say no to things because I feel like now I'm being a bit more, not strategic, but I'm thinking about, okay, what kind of work do I want to be making? And does this fit with that? Or it's kind of like a gut feeling. You just know. Yeah. yeah. Um, being a singular designer artist, mm -hmm. how does it how does it feel kind of like working by yourself? Do you feel there's a moments where you are questioning what you're doing or do you mm. feel confident about the, where you're going with things? Yeah, I get I go through phases. Like I feel when often if I'm working with an art director or there's someone else in the creative concept side, I sometimes like that because you can just get a quick direction. I'll send through some roughs and it's like, yep, let's go this way. And I like the immediacy of moving forward. Mm. Um, if it's something where I get full creative control, like it's a blessing and a curse because, yeah. you know, I could spend months like yeah, yeah. research. I love to get like really deep and immerse myself and come up with these concepts. But then I think having, you know, another person just to run something by can speed up the creative process. So I like a little bit of both probably. And how important is the 
you know, if you're doing it on a wall, mm. do you want to know what the wall looks like before you start? Do you go, oh, that wall is not a very nice wall. I can't <laughs> paint yeah. on that or it's too small. Yeah, or I've definitely over time, um, you know, started to realise there's certain surfaces, like if it's smooth and and white and, and really like a canvas, then that's going to be faster. Sometimes mm. it won't necessarily mean I won't do the project, but it might mean, okay, we're going to need to allow X amount of time extra. Like, for example, the Tiffany & Co mural, it went across this kind of like stepped marble and a door. Oh, wow. And this was like, okay, we need to strategically think about how to approach that because it was very different. But as long as there's enough time, usually it doesn't matter so much. But I think the main thing with seeing the space is more like the context of how will the design fit, you know, if it's really expansive or if it's really open and white, then like maybe we can go with something more colourful. I don't know, you know, all those factors mm. that you would think about when you're designing anything. Do you ever go to a launch or an event and go, oh, my God, I got this wrong or I made a mistake? Mm. Or I spelled love wrong. I mean, well, there's usually there not, hasn't been any spelling errors no, okay, yet. Okay, good. Yeah, but um, I think there's always I don't know. I always feel like it something could be more perfect or it could be you know there's I'm never a hundred percent content straight after I finish something. Usually mm. it takes a few years and like oh that was actually I quite like that or mm. to have a bit of space between the creation. But that's why I don't mind so much if it gets painted white because I feel like okay that's. That's done. Next yeah, yeah. thing. That's cool. Do you feel like you have a balance in your life? How do you keep how do you keep well? I feel like I've only started thinking about the idea of balance and realizing how important it is in the last two years or maybe even only a year. And I think that at the beginning I just went like I'd work till three o'clock in the morning and I'd literally just, you know, miss social things and just do everything I could to get the work. Done. Like I was really hyper-focused and, and also I think I found it fun. Like there was yeah. it was a rush to kind of do it that way. And I just think I've started to realise in the last couple of years it's when you get a little bit older, you know, it's not sustainable to do it like that. But when you're young, you can. And so I don't know what shifted, but there was definitely something like the feeling of maybe about to be burnt out, probably from travel and doing all this work and I've started to, you know, integrate more breaks and yoga and spending more time with friends and family, just like getting more, seeking out more balance, I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting The, you know, just I was just thinking about you working on those murals I and mean, they must take hours and hours and hours. And in a way, people tell me I should meditate. <laughs> I've tried it a yeah, few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I was to do that every day for hours, I mean, I'd be in a very different mental state. I mean, is that is that kind of for you like an addictive thing for you or something you need? I mean, that space to – because once you worked out the design, it's, yeah. is, is it – I don't know, not being rude, but is it painting mm. by numbers in a way? Like you, Yeah, you know, no, no, that's not rude. It is definitely you – know. Yeah, like I'll either use a projector or pounce patterns to get the design up onto the wall so there'll be like loose outlines and I'll have like the original artwork there for reference. So yeah. it is, you know, it's not mindless. Like obviously you have to concentrate, but, you know, I can listen to an audiobook or a podcast or listen to something and be completely detached from like what my hand is doing. And I almost prefer to do it that way because it just feels God, easy. must be awesome. But that being said, I'd say that now maybe only – 10 to 15 percent of my actual time is spent in a year painting murals i would love if it was like 
you know, one every week, but there is all the in-between, you know, other projects that I'll be working on or the designing for murals. And also because it is so labour intensive and time consuming, often there might be projects where there's just not the budget to cover the amount of work that goes into it. So I have to be a bit more selective about which ones I do as well. So you have people that do paint for you as well? Yeah. So it depends. Like sometimes I'll have painting assistants work with me and then I'll have other times where with, you know, obviously with Will Lyons who painted the one that we did together at Henry Lee's. And yeah, I found that I do more so enjoy now if I can do it myself as well. And there was a period where, like, sometimes they would commission it. They couldn't, didn't have the budget maybe to fly me over and paint it, so we'd be looking at, like, a vinyl option. It's not the same, oh, you know? Not, is it? No. <laughs> yeah, it's the craft that makes it special. Yeah. Have you got, a, like, a bigger picture plan for your life? Mm. Are you just kind of going with the momentum and the energy around what you're doing now? I've always, like, just gone with it. And I've never really, I've never been a very, like, goal-oriented, like, in five years or by the time I'm 30 or... I do have like a feeling of if I've done something like I want to push beyond that or go bigger or challenge myself, but it's it's kind of like quite it's quite vague. It's just a feeling. Organic. That I have. Yeah, it's organic. Yeah. You know, um, I don't really have any goals. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Is that bad? No, no, that's cool. But you definitely found the thing that you like you found the thing that you like yeah. and you're going with it and it's it's, it's creating a, a momentum yeah mm. I definitely think when I said before and I started doing murals before I was getting commissioned to do them I did think oh this is like really cool I'd love to do more of this and I even had the idea maybe of it incorporating travel and so I'll, I will like seek it out or put things out there like throw them out into the universe and with the hope that that leads the work so I have found that you know, if I want to do more illustrative stuff and maybe I'm sick of a type, then I'll put more illustrative stuff out there and then it usually turns into jobs and kind of takes mm. my path in that direction. Wow. And did you ever see it? I mean, obviously it's not, it's, you're a designer artist, but you're also a business person because you're making this whole thing work. It's funny because I never think of myself as a business person. Like, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I know I definitely have, you know, have to do all the business side of things and I think that, you know, that's also something I don't feel like you learn in design school or unless you no. seek it out or seek out mentors, then you're kind of just fumbling your way through and, you know, anything from like the accounting side to tax to like all those factors that come into it. And I do like those aspects, but mm-hmm. I'm very much like I'd love to do things at 110%. So if I'm working on the creative, I find it hard to like shift between the business and the creative. I need mm-hmm. to focus entirely on one of those things. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't – maybe I should, but I'm not – I haven't got any, like, plans at this stage, like, in terms of from a business point of view of, you know, what's next or growth or staying the same. I do like being just me and having support people to help paint murals or be have assistance and working with my agents, but I don't think I want to, like, expand – you know, I guess in the way that you would have started out as a designer, as Vince Frost, and then you've become this big thing. I'm just going to be little old Well, that's age. just through lack of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, mm, yeah, a certain amount of that is planned. A certain amount of it is just kind of you go with the momentum. That's certainly true. 
Do, is Jackie Winterstore your agent? Yeah, so, so I work they do for all Jackie the negotiations for, you? for in Australia mm-hmm. and then Levine Levitt in America and the rest of the world. But I found that when I started to travel to America a lot, because it's just such a bigger market than Australia, I'd probably say like 60 or 70% of the work now is coming from overseas and maybe wow. like I might do one or two projects a year in Australia. How cool is that? Yeah, it's awesome. It definitely feels like nice to be, I feel like it's the best of both worlds. Like I love living in Australia. I love the lifestyle. Um, but then to be connected like on a global scale. Yeah, is, the world's your market, isn't it? It's awesome. How do you end up being based in Redfern too? Because, I mean, have you, are you, were you born and raised in Redfern, no, Sydney? I grew up in Brisbane. Okay. So I moved to Sydney when I was 19, I think. I moved with a boy that I was dating at the time. He got a job here. Mm-hmm. And I felt like at the time Brisbane, I'm like, I just wanted something bigger and more exciting. So Sydney was that place. Mm-hmm. And then I've been here for a, 10 years, over 10 years now. So I feel like it's like my home, you know, Brisbane's where I grew up, but I feel like Sydney is the place where like my adult life, like it was just this amazing, you know, where my career started. And so I have a really strong connection to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And Redfern, I actually moved into the place where I live and work when I was working as a designer in uh, at Fuel VFX, or VFX Studio used to be in Newtown. Mm-hmm. And then I've just kind of stayed in the same house and it's changed over years. It used to be a share house and now everyone's kicked out and I converted my attic into my studio space. And, yeah, I think I'm definitely at a point where I'm ready to, like, find a bigger space to work within, but... It's been nice to kind of have this as my base, especially with traveling a lot as well. Obviously, you, you, you're famous for the, you know, the, the what do you call them? Are they illustrations or artworks on the puke bags? Oh, yeah, the sick bags. <laughs> the sick bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, that's obviously kind of true to the form of that you're flying, you're flying so much. Yeah. Uh, and being creative at that moment. Um, how did that come about? Uh, well, it was it was like in this period when I first started freelancing and I had a bit more time. I definitely wasn't as busy as I am now. And I was definitely more like kind of just coming up with like lots of mm. random ideas. And when I started flying, I just one day drew on one of the sick bags and did a puke pun and left it in the seat. And it kind of became this little social media thing. And yeah, it was it was fun. That was before the murals. Yeah, 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 definitely. This was mm. like, God, it must have been 2008. 13, yeah. I think. And so there was probably like a year and a half where I would draw one every time I flew and had an exhibition of framed puke bags. And <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it combined my love of like bad puns and like lettering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was this, you know, confined design space. So but brilliant. Yeah. And I've noticed on your website you're now selling your prints. Are they, is that going well? Um, yeah. I mean, like I, Jackie Winter Group has Lamington Drive, which is like an online store and gallery that they have there. So they kind of run all of the, you know, behind the scenes of like packing and sending, which is great because I don't really have the capacity to do that. Mm. Um, I would love, like, I think I often think about prints. Like I never used to want to do prints. Like I always loved the idea of an original or a a thing, like a hand-painted thing and Someone was saying to me the other day, but it's like, Gemma, it's really nice for people to, or young people who are just starting out to have something that you've created and like mm. have that connection. Um, so I do like it, but a lot of the work that I sell as prints is kind of like being created or already exists. So maybe like down the track, if I stop traveling and have a bit more time, I'd love to actually create pieces that are specifically to okay. sell as prints. Like I think James yep. Jean does that. And, yeah. 
Um, who are your influences? I mean, locally and around the world, like in this in this space. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's like all of the like lettering and typography people whose work I loved, like when I was studying, like Jessica Hirsch and Alex Trochard and anyone that kind of took more of a like avant-garde art approach to mm-hmm. working with lettering. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like it's broadened. Like I feel like I'm inspired and influenced by, you know, anything outside of the design world, whether it's like art or nature or like a pattern or like a tile print, anything. Like I'm just kind of constantly collecting images and photographs and often if a job has the time to permit, I just will like kind of look at all of this, like these images and kind of grab a set together and like this is the tone or this is the direction that I want this to be, not necessarily only from the design world. Mm. Yeah. That's very cool. You found your thing. How would you recommend other people find their thing? Ah, that's a good question because I feel like, as I said before, because I didn't have a goal, it felt so organic and it just kind of grew out of, you know, I think I think the best way is to like stick to what you feel like you really want to do. Like I think you always know in your gut. Like I have a feeling when I'm creating something when it's not right. I could just tell. Like I don't know. Sometimes I can't mm-hmm. pinpoint like it's this color or it's this, but you just know. And I think that you also get that same feeling when you're doing anything in life. So the more that you can like identify that and say, well, I like this, this makes me feel good. I like creating this kind of work or this aligns with my values or whatever it is. And you kind of do as much as you can to lean in that direction and avoid maybe creating things that don't bring you some kind of happiness or joy. I guess it's, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing is equally the, around that kind of nagging feeling that it's, that something isn't right, Mm. whether it's a relationship, a place or a career, where it might be. Yeah. Because not everybody listens to that or even acknowledges that. Yeah, and I think also there's, like, other voices of influence that, like, tell you what you should be doing or, like, Mm. in the same way that it's like, oh, you should study law and not do art. There's, And you might not even be aware of what those things are that are making you make your decisions. And I think that comes with just time and experience and wisdom and, yeah. So looking back, this, this was meant to be? Like where you are now is meant to be, I don't know. you know, as a, as a kid, you kind of look, well, actually, if I just continued on my journey as a child, yeah, that's I'd, be, true. I'd be here. That's true. If I think about as a kid, the things that I love to do, yeah, actually often people do say like, what did you love doing when you were a kid? I think it's interesting that, that it seems to me, the more people I talk to, the more often it's the schooling, and I don't mm. want to come heavy on schooling, but yeah. the schooling is making us, you know, be conform conform, be like everybody else, wear the same thing, be punctual, all this kind of stuff, which goes against the spirit of creativity. That's true. That's true. You kind of almost relearned it. You kind of did law. That's the other extreme. That's yeah. following the path of that kind of strictness. Yeah. It's legal. funny, though, because sometimes I think, like, if I went back now and studied law after having had a design career, I feel like I would take a completely different approach and mm. maybe, like, maybe see it in a different way or see a way of doing something within that profession that I would never, you know, you wouldn't think of. And I think that's the thing about design that's really awesome and that you talk about like in the book and the idea of designing your life is it's it's more about like a way of seeing the world and seeing things and opportunities or mm. looking for something that might be outside of the conventional way of doing something that's really exciting. Travel obviously has become incredibly important to you. What what do you get from that? 
Well, I think that initially the travel was great because being in Australia, it was a way of like having a presence in the world and like, you know, speaking in a conference before I was getting a huge amount of work, it was basically like uh, a portfolio, but with a description of, you know, your career and people get to see your work. And so often I would get commissions and projects directly after speaking in a particular conference in a place. And I think I've been so lucky to have that as part of my career because it does give you an opportunity to like just see the world and see like be inspired and see different ways of how people live and just, yeah, I just think it's an incredible thing, but it is a, you know, it's a luxury. And I think that's, I've been very lucky to be able to have that. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, for we always say it's important for you to kind of get out there. And I think Dare said when I interviewed him the other day, he said he tells people to piss off, <laughs> piss <laughs> off, go see the world. Yeah, you know, you're young, go experience stuff, then work out what you want to do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good advice. I mean, I didn't really do that. Like, I only started mm. traveling because of work. And yeah, in a way, I think that you know, sometimes it's great. And like, especially on Instagram, it seems like, oh my God, you know, you, you've got this amazing life for you to travel. But often like the reality of if, if you're really busy is it's like, okay, you'll get there. And then I'll be like working in the hotel room. And there's like nothing worse than being in an amazing new city and working in a hotel room. So I think now. A shabby, I'm... <laughs> dark, dingy hotel room, which is not right. Oh, it's Some beautiful the, hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's more just like the being inside. I'm like, I just want to go out and yeah. explore. So I think now I'm trying to reduce the travel a bit more and then add a little bit of a holiday or something so that I can really, you know, make the most of it because, mm. you know, they're not going to be asking me to speak at conferences forever. I was similar. I was, I was, I was, I would say yes at a drop of hat. I'd fly to New York for mm. half a day. Yeah. I'd fly to Rome for an hour. I mean, just ridiculous things. I look back and go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Because I actually never, it actually wasn't even pleasant. I mean, yes. it, there was moments of it because you spend time with other creatives from around the world or meet great students or people. Yeah. Uh, certainly you were kind of in a way helping promote your business, although that wasn't seen to be the, pro the primary mm. purpose for doing it. But I certainly felt like, oh, my God, I've seen so many places, but I've actually spent zero you know, mm. not enough quality time in, in any of them. Yeah. And I think that that's, that sounds smart what you're doing now, which is kind of adding on a bit of time to kind of have downtime or kind yeah. of explore and all that. Yeah. Well, I just did um, – have you done Latin American Design Festival in Peru? No. It's um, – so the actual conference is in Lima and it was like over three days and then I added four days at the end and did the Inca Trail with an old housemate, a girlfriend of mine, and that was like – Amazing, because four days, you know, four days back in the studio, you know, you get stuff done, but it's you're not going to miss four days. But there, you know, we were like hiking for like eight hours every day, camping, no phones. It was like, amazing. and just being in nature, it was like amazing, you know, and instantly refreshed. And I think that if I can add those little things and get to see these places that I'm going, then it's, yeah. And it equally influences your work. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And sometimes I don't think, like, I know how it's going to influence my work in the time or it's not as, like, direct as, like, I see something and I want to draw that. But it's sometimes even just, I think, the space, like having the downtime to let your brain kind of, like, mull over ideas and maybe things will come up. I think that's really mm. important as well. Do you think that feeds your optimism? Do you know yeah. where yours comes from? 
No. Are you on medication? No, no, I can't <laughs> give you anything. I'm sorry. No? Yeah, no, I don't know. I think there's so many factors that play into it. Like, I think it's just part of, like, even, like, your disposition, like, whether it's your childhood, the way you are brought up or opportunities or privilege, there's so many factors. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. So do you think it will always work out? Your life will always work I out? I do have a very, a very, like, I do have that feeling. I know it's bad, but it's almost well, it's as not. though. Why is it bad? Well, okay, maybe it's not bad, but uh, I guess, like, I would be happy. Like, when I was working in a design studio, I worked at Fuel, and I had a couple of, like, full-time You've plugged them a few times jobs. now, okay. Oh, they've gone. They're in. <laughs> they, they don't exist anymore. They got bought by oh. Animal Logic. They went bankrupt. Okay. So. Oh, Jesus. Okay, we, we don't need all that, but yeah. But, um... So I think that for me, though, I always have that reference point because it's the last time I did a nine-to-five job before I went out on my own. But um, After you I, destroyed the business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I went back to selling flowers at the markets to make money because I was like, okay, if I'm going to be a freelancer, how am I going to survive? Yeah. And I loved that. And it was like I wasn't making much money. I don't have to wake up early. But like, I feel like no matter what I'm doing or even if tomorrow they're like, oh, we're sick murals are out, typography and lettering and dead, you're going to have to do something else. I'm like, cool, okay. And I feel excited by that. Really? That's a cool, I mean, it really is a cool approach because we do, as people, we do get stuck in the, um, uh, in the bit of a rut or previous investment, you've invested in something, Mm. you know, a career or training or uh, place, et cetera. And you think that if if I was just, if it all went away, I'd be dead. I'd be like, that's it. I'm washed up. I mean, people yeah. are, maybe it's just me thinking that. No, I, I think do. More yeah. people think that than um, than not. I think. I guess it also fear. becomes like entwined with like your identity and like, you know, if I think about you know people who aren't my close friends or who I don't see all the time, like they only see maybe my Instagram account, mm. and so I'm like, okay, yes, my identity is entwined with like being creative and traveling and like all these things. But there's all these other sides of it that I think that are equally as like valuable that you don't need to put out there into the world that can be just as, you know, beneficial and exciting and good for your life. Yeah. yeah. I think it's cool that you, what you said just now about the, when you left your previous job and you went and you sold flowers. Mm. I think that's, that's really cool. I mean, I, you don't have to stay in the career that you're in, do you? No, people, no. People kind of, I guess, some people struggle to get in that in the first place as people kind of think they have to maintain that forever. Um, it sounds like you're, were your parents like that? Were they more optimistic, more kind of flexible in how they approach life? Yeah, they're definitely, like, they both, I don't know how to describe my parents, but they're both very unique. Like, my dad is a, a builder and designer. He builds these beautiful houses. He used to work in big construction companies and then went out on his own. And my mum's a kindergarten teacher and she also teaches music, cello and piano. And so they do have like an independence and I've never really felt pressure from my parents. I think that's very, I'm very lucky in the sense that they've never like, I've never felt like I couldn't do something in any aspect of my life, not only my career. So there has been like that support that Mm. is probably underlying that optimism of, you know, I could do something and I'd always have these people that would support me no matter what. So not mm. financially, but just like in that emotional level, which I think is really important, you know, to be encouraged to do things and yeah. What's your, what would be your dream wall? 
Well, do you dream about walls? Yeah, I think I like dream about like big. Not a specific wall, but you know, like maybe like I want to do like a rocket landing pad, like a giant circular. Oh, cool! Like Elon Musk. Just put it out there. To, yeah, put that out there. I mean, airplanes. There's lots of like anything that's like gigantic. Something that went into space would be cool. Wow! <laughs> My God, don't think big. Yeah. Um. So, Gemma, what I always ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, do you think you've designed your life? Hmm. I think it's designed me. <laughs> Perfect answer. I agree too. Yeah, I don't really know what that means, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> it's worked out well. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about designing your life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. <laughs>